If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be reading from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. You can be seated, please. God is good all the time. He had on a baseball cap, and on the front of it, it said, Vietnam veteran. So I stopped him, and we spoke for a little bit. And uh, one of the things that I'd learned that many of you, having lived then, know is that unlike the wars that came before, the veterans of the Vietnam War were not welcomed back with ticker tape parades and with fanfare. As a matter of fact, the guy that I was speaking with, he told me, he said, some of us, when we came back, we were spat upon We were cursed at and mistreated in all sorts of ways. And many of them uh, not thanked for their service because of the politics surrounding it. And so rather than thanking him for his service, I just said, welcome home. Because nobody else really welcomed the veterans of that war home, unlike others. Friday was Veterans Day. And I know we have a lot of veterans here, some who have physical scars, some who have scars the likes of which we just cannot see. And it's probably those we cannot see that are more difficult than those that we can. And I I don't wish to embarrass anybody, and if you are so inclined, feel free to do so. If not, that's all right too. But if you're a veteran, would you please stand so that we could recognize you? Thank you. Thank you. Welcome home, soldiers. Welcome home. I was talking to my brother, Mike Forgey, this morning. I wanted to let you know this as well. His daughter, Dana, has been dealing with cancer, and many of us have been praying for her. Uh, They've gotten to a point to where she's going to have to go to MD Anderson uh, to seek further treatment. And so I want to take a moment. Let's pray for Dana and all those that Gary had mentioned as well. Bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that you're so loving and that you incline your ears to our prayers. We thank you for our veterans, not only for them, but for those who aren't even here to be acknowledged because they've since passed from this world or they made that ultimate sacrifice. We thank you not only for them, but also for their families who undoubtedly lived in anxious periods over their loved ones. For those you've brought safely home, we thank you. For those you've reunited with loved ones, we thank you and pray your peace rests upon them and that you would bless them. Father, we pray for Dana and for the trip she'll take to MD Anderson. We pray for those doctors at that facility that they'll be able to care for her and to tend to her needs. Father, our prayer would be that she would be able to receive treatment that would affect a positive outcome. But Father, we pray your will to be done in all things. Be with Mike and his family. Comfort them as only you can. And may your peace rest upon them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are always a group of voices that see the absolute worst of everything that's happening around us. And they talk about, well, it's not like it used to be. Wouldn't you like to know if you're living in the good old days? Because a lot of times people talk about the good old days. And back then, they didn't even realize they were living in them. But you have some folks who 
look at things around us and they go, it's so bad. And because it's so bad, you know, all hope is lost. Everything's going down the tank. But there's an opportunity in the badness that we may see because the light shines brightest when it's most dark. And we as children of the Lord and, and those who are supposed to be the light of the world, it's a great opportunity for our light to shine. If your Bible's open to 2 Timothy 3, the first verse I want to give a little clarification to, mainly before we go ahead. A lot of people, when they think about the last days, they think about a brief period of time before Jesus returns. But when you read your Bible, you'll see that it's something different than that. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice, and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Uh, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. We've been in the last days since that Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When he spoke of it, he spoke of it quoting from the prophet Joel of old, saying, this is what will happen in the last days. And Peter says, here we are, this is what you're seeing. So there's another passage you can put alongside that one, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, notice this, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So whenever you talk about the last days, uh, it's not something that's in the future that we're waiting to see. It's something that we're living in and have been since that Pentecost when Peter announced it. So you keep that in mind. If your Bible's open to 2 Timothy 3, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, verse 2. In the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. Full stop. If you will look at verse 4, the ending of verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you have sandwiched in between those two phrases everything that categorizes those who are lovers of themselves. And opposed to loving God, this is all that this consists of. So... This is going to hit home because these are some of the things that we see today. We get all sorts of advertisements, of media, of, of, of mailings, of, of commercials on the radio and so forth that says, you deserve, and you insert whatever it is. I always think of the J.G. Wentworth commercials. I don't know if they're still around, but it's my money and I want it now. Do you all remember those? Or was that, was that just in Nashville? I don't know. I remember when we lived in Nashville. And they used to make some of the most ridiculous commercials along that line. But I guarantee somebody called them. It's all about us. And so we see here, you have perilous personalities, verses 2 through 5. Uh, lovers of self and everything that follows, follows because men, humanity, are lovers of themselves. We seek our own interests first and foremost. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But there is something wrong to where we love ourselves to the point that it makes us into people that God doesn't intend us to be. 
As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, uh, I, I love the words that Paul gives here to give some sort of semblance of temperance. In Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more of himself, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So you have those who don't love God, but that are lovers of themselves. And Paul says, don't think too much of yourselves. You ever had somebody humble you in such a way? Someone who says, and maybe it comes across as hateful, but they say, you're not as smart as you think you are. I've said that to the kids on occasion. I love it when they think, oh, I've got it figured out. I know how to get it right past dad. I, I've got this. And, you know, the, you know, and I go, you're not as smart as you think you are. But keep trying, keep trying. Or someone who says, you're really not that talented. Some people need the humbling. But you have these lovers of selves. Look at what follows from loving yourself. You have lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, these are a category of people, uh, and, and nobody can deny that people are in love with themselves, but it's no accident that uh, human and divine relationships are destroyed when we make ourselves the center of all things, because God is removed from His place in our hearts. And as you read this list, you notice those who are lovers of money, those who are boasters, these are the folks that don't temper their own self-opinion. They think they are special. You know, you know those people. You say, well, he, she thinks she's the greatest thing that God put on the face of the earth. Or have you ever made the statement, who died and left you boss or king, right? Because some people just take that on, but they're boasters. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very leery of people that boast about themselves and feel the need to give a verbal resume before they go into something uh, proud. You know, the, the, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And this leads them to being blasphemers. Those who speak bad of the things of God or maybe even of God Himself. And you know, we've got a, a percentage of people on the face of the earth in privileged societies such as the United States of America who so carelessly just speak ill of God. Some of them literally blaspheming. You've seen videos, maybe. I, I saw one recently of a, I guess he was a preacher. He was at a college campus. And this young college girl cursed at him and then cursed God. Mainly because the guy was sharing the gospel and trying to answer questions as they had them. And she just outright cursed God. And I thought, man, maybe she doesn't believe that God exists, but that was pretty heavy. That was a lot. Keep going in the list. Disobedient to parents. When I was told to do something, I, I never inquired as to why, because... Mom and Daddy didn't know me an explanation. Uh, when they told me to do something, I did it, and that was good enough reason to do it. And the few times that I deviated from that, uh, well, 
you know, I got straightened out pretty quickly. Of course, I needed a lot of straightening out. A lot of you are good people. You probably just obeyed. But I'm, I'm that stubborn, hard-headed kid that when he was a baby would bow his back because, you know, that's just my personality. But disobedient to parents, this is something that we see quite often. And, and really, it begins in the home. Mom and dad need to take control. Since when was it normal to become fearful of your children? My mom used to tell me, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. <laughs> and I needed to hear it. Usually those were in the teenage years, that was her catchphrase. Honest to goodness truth, you're going to think I'm a liar. But I was, you know, mouthing around, not meaning to be mean, but apparently mom had enough. And she got quiet all of a sudden, and I turned around, and she had a piece of wood in her hand. She was holding it just like this. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm about to throw this wood if you, if you don't hush. Okay, we had a wood-burning stove, so she was putting wood in the stove, and she was about to chunk a piece of wood at me. Uh, okay. I think we all have those moments when we were children where you got to test the borders a little bit just to see how far it goes. But overall, we're not talking about that. But folks that are just outright disobedient to parents, they are unthankful, they are unholy, they are unloving, they are unforgiving. When you think of folks that you do things for, you know, I don't think we do things for other people expecting them to be grateful, but it, it is nice when they say, thank you, appreciate what you did, rather than just, there are some people that come and they just expect because they breathe air that you should just do for them. And they're not even grateful for it. The unholy, the unloving, those that are unforgiving. I realize that sometimes forgiveness is a hard part of being a Christian and following Jesus. Every one of us have probably had somebody who did something to us that was so bad that it really, it sticks with us. I would like to say that, you know, this person, that person, the situation, I would like to say that I've forgiven them, but you know, what exactly does that mean? Because anytime I hear their name or I see them, it just conjures up these emotions. And I question, have I actually forgiven them? And I was having this conversation with someone and I said, you know, if we're doubtful about whether we have forgiven someone or not, I think one thing we can do is pray about it. You know, Lord, I've I want to be forgiven, so I need to forgive, and I'd like to think that I have, but I still have struggles with this person, these group of people, whatever it may be, you know? And I think sometimes if you've got folks that you're really displeased with, praying for them as well as yourself is a pretty good rule. Pray for their well-being. Pray for, you know, I think... Sometimes we think of love as a feeling, but more often than not, it's a verb. It's something we choose to do or not do in the best interest of another person. We know, as we've heard our Lord instruct us in how to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let that sit for just a little bit. If God forgives me how I forgive others, 
what, what kind of standing am I left in? Would, would, would I want him to forgive me how I forgive this person or that person? Uh, you know, the way I want God's forgiveness, I want him to act as if it never happened. I want him to never bring it up again. I want him to fully love and accept me beyond my sin. Okay, so you think of the ways that you and I want God to forgive us, and then we need to take and do the copy and the paste when it comes to others. I'm not saying that it's easy, but that, that's where prayer definitely comes in. You go on from there, you have slanderers. That is those who always speak evil of others. You have those without self-control. Those that are brutal despisers of good. A lot of people today fulfill the words of Isaiah 55, I believe it is, where he says, Woe unto those who call good evil and evil good, who put light for darkness and darkness for light. And things that used to be just outright right and wrong, people like to now package up the wrong and the sin, and they like to sell it as if it's good. And, and the things that are good, that are righteous, that are holy, that are, you know, wholesome, they like to say in repackaging that, that it's bad. And then they put all kinds of names to you. If you believe in the Lord, you believe in His gospel, and you do your best to live according to it, you're going to invariably come to the point to where, well, God says this is good, so it's good. And God says that is bad, and it's bad. And people are going to call you names for it. But don't be surprised because that characterizes the last days. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. One of the ways that these folks really like to sell their vice as virtue is they always shield it under the guise of compassion or general welfare or something along those lines. And I'm all for being compassionate. Jesus was compassionate many, many times. We can be compassionate towards a person, but it doesn't mean that we have to say, well, the, 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 the sin is all right. You know, people have always said, hate the sin, love the sinner. But we don't do very well at it. We have a hard time separating the human from their sin. And let's remember not to think more highly of ourselves than what we ought, because every one of us is a sinner needing the forgiveness of God, needing the grace of Jesus Christ. And what's sad is that sometimes the worst critics of Christianity are Christians. Church-going Christians, those who do their best to live faithfully. And then they'll say, well, you're too liberal in this. You're too conservative in that. Well, here's the problem with the church. Here's the problem with Christians in general. And they, they think they have the moral high ground like they didn't need to be saved either. You know, he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? None of us is any better than the other. Every one of us 
need the love, the forgiveness, and the grace of God. Every one of us. So you have these perilous personalities, and here are their plans. Verses 6 through 9. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So beyond the presence of these people are their plans and what we can observe. When people aren't listening to God, they become gullible. They'll buy into anything as long as it's presented well enough. And we can listen to the world or to Him who created it. That's the choice. Now, sometimes we hear things and it sounds very convincing. And, you know, over the past few years, at least, uh, it's uh, one of the things I've learned is there are a lot of people that just don't do their homework. They put their trust in some source, and it, it, it may be a person, it may be a group, an organization of some sort, and they put all their trust in that, and, you know, then they have the audacity to say that the other people are listening to fake news. They take the information, and here's the reality. Nobody, no one person, has a corner on all truth. Look at verse 16 in this chapter. Here's the source, the ultimate source. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the sources that are out there can be right, but they can also be wrong. But I tell you this, the one that's never wrong is the Scriptures. He goes on at this point, Now as Jonas and John Brace resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. If you have a study Bible or read a commentary, it's suggested that Jonas and John Brace were the Egyptian magicians. You remember when Moses was doing his miracles and and, and Pharaoh brought in his Egyptian magicians and they could replicate some of those very same things. So Moses cast down his staff and that staff, what did it do? It turned into a snake, right? Well, and so these magicians, they do the same thing, and their staffs turn into snakes. I would have been fine to do that if I were Moses, but when the Lord said, pick it back up, I'd have been like, we got a problem right there. I think I'd rather not. But then they go on from there, and, and Moses turns the Nile into blood and, and, and other bodies of water into blood. and Well, they replicate that miracle as well. Then you have that of the plague of the frogs. They also replicate that. But eventually, as Moses is doing the works and the wonders of God, they are not able to replicate it. And in that, they were shown and exposed to be frauds. So these people, these perilous people who do this and who live this way, uh, they will eventually be shown to be a fraud. And you know, sometimes you see people that are so wrong and they're being so successful at being wrong and people say, what, what should I do? I said, if you will just hang on, they will hang themselves. The truth always comes out. You may look bad right now. They may be saying all kinds of things. You know what? 
if you respond, you're going to look guiltier. Have you ever noticed that that's bad? You try to clear your own name and it makes you look worse? Okay, just be silent, sit by, and watch. They're going to be exposed eventually. In contrast to these people, you have the faithful follower of the Lord, which Timothy is. And so Paul goes from here, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. You can go back to the book of Acts and read when Paul was in these various places, how, how, how they wanted to kill him. And on one occasion, they actually stoned him and thought he was dead, but then some came and took him and tended to his needs. So he's endured, and he says, if you're faithful to the Lord in these last days, in this environment, you will surely endure these types of challenges. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We are fortunate in that in this country we have not had to suffer the physical persecutions that Paul did. I mean, look at it. Look here. Look all around you. You have a building in which a group of Christians have gathered to sing praises to God, to pray to Him, to worship Him. Guess what? How many of you are afraid somebody's going to come in here and hurt us because of it? Not most of you, because you know somebody in your row probably has a gun on their hip or on their ankle, right? Because this is Kentucky, and that's how we live. We're fortunate in that regard, and, and great strides have been made and continue to be made for religious freedom in our country. But Timothy wasn't as fortunate, and you and I can discuss and debate ideas. We can be peaceful and go our separate ways, but it wasn't always so for Timothy and for Paul in the environment in which they lived. You've probably heard this poem before. Uh, Robert Frost wrote it. I'll read it to you. And, you know, just listen. It's about two roads. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood. And looked down one as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both in the morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden back. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way. I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made 
all the difference. We who are Christians are redeemed sinners, no better than anyone else, even these perilous people. Point out my sin and I'll repent. Rebuke me and I'll pray for forgiveness. I'm willing to be corrected because I yearn for God, yet I cannot tolerate what He is unwilling to tolerate. He alone will judge, and I take comfort in that fact. I must only discern and follow the road less traveled. Jesus calls it that narrow path that leads to everlasting life. In the last days when people are living so recklessly, when they love themselves and put themselves ahead of God and they don't even love the Lord, Paul says to Timothy, you take that narrow path, that narrow path that leads to life. And hopefully, by your good conduct, maybe, just maybe, we can win some of these folks to that narrow path as well. So don't be discouraged. Don't lose hope when you see all the bad things that are going on in the world and in society because Paul says this is what it's going to be like in the last days. But we stand firm in the confidence of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. I love that old saying, I'm not where I ought to be. I'm not where God wants me to be. I'm not where I should be, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be. And it's because of Jesus. The Christ who died on the cross bid you to come down that narrow path too. I was so excited to get a text message the other night from Scott. He said, are you going to be at the church around this time? And I said, well, I can be. And he said, Sam wants to be baptized. And they pulled in and, uh, you know, Sam's very shy. And so they pulled in and they, they said that he said, whose are all these cars? It was like me and Jacob and Kelly, you know, and his grandmother. But uh, he, he was very shy. So we, they go up there and Scott takes his confession and then buries him with Jesus in baptism. I tell you, when that little boy come out of that water, he was a new person. He still looked the same. He still sounded the same. But in the eyes of God, he became something new. He became one of his children. If you've never done that and would like to do so, definitely we want to minister to you. If you have more questions about it, we'd love to study with you. But if you're a Christian, you just need the forgiveness of the Lord and you want to repent of your sin, we'll definitely pray with you and for you. Not judge, pray. So if we can assist you with any need, please come to the front as we stand together and sing.